and he's doing the third in that um, little mini-series today. Uh, so, over to you, Paul. And I just want to pray, uh, maybe on behalf of all of us, let's, on behalf of all of us, Lord, we, we want to uh, be fed by you today. We, we recognize our need, need for you. I think part of what Paul is showing us through the scriptures is uh, the extent to which you're in us and that you're for us is, is greater than we comprehend. And so we, we, we surrender ourselves to you today in our thinking, in our emotions, in our, in our spirits, our hearts in every way and say, yes, Lord, come and, come and be amongst us, come and work amongst us. Amen. Cool. Thanks, Chris. Morning, everyone. Having fun yet? <laughs> I'm having fun. You can say whatever you want. I'd say um, this is the, the, the last of the three that Paul's, um, these three talks. We've asked Paul and Grace to kind of have a, when we had, when we had archaeologists, when we, when we were developing the crypt underneath the church, we had, they had a, we had an, a watching brief from these archaeologists, which meant if ever we found a bone, then we had to ring, ring up the archaeologists and they'd rush in and they'd get their cameras out and they'd be painting it and drawing it and everything else. I kind of said to the same thing with Paul and Grace on the Holy Spirit. Can they have a sort of watching brief on us, you know, in terms of helping us, coaching us in, you know, I feel like in the way that I lead services and things, I want to, I want to grow in that in terms of pursuing God's presence. And I, so I've just said, I said, please step in and, and just coach, coach us and help us, make it, help us to be more sensitive to, more appreciative of. So in the, in this coming, you know, year or whatever, um, they'll be helping us. Chris, nice one. Oh, thanks, God. Um, I have a, I have a PowerPoint for you today again, <laughs> uh, but I'm a little bit um, juiced up in Holy Spirit, and it's dangerous because when you have a PowerPoint, you can kind of really go off piste. So it's good that I'm. It's good that I've got this because it'll help me stay on piste. Uh, Jesus, I'm, I'm going to pray as well, if that's okay with you. Is that okay to, to pray in this church? <laughs> Holy Spirit. Huh? What was that? <laughs> the cheek. Oh, Jesus. It's all cheeky. He's pretty cheeky. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You're pretty cheeky. Uh, God, we, we give you permission to uh, open our awareness to you in ways that are new and are expansive and that take us above and beyond what we've been in before, and I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are fully present in in the the harsh, nitty-gritty realities of life that can sometimes hit us, but you're also present in the transcendent reality of Christ as the one on the throne above all of these things, and we're present with you in those places. So thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are living water. You are the very life and the breath and the very presence of Christ in us and to us and for us today. And so we open our hearts to that wave, the floodwaters of your grace that would saturate every part of our lives. Would you saturate our thinking, saturate our feelings, saturate our relationships, saturate our work, saturate our finances, saturate our plans, saturate everything. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that there is no part of our lives that you say is off limits. There's no place that you're unwilling to go. There's no, there's no thing in us that you're not willing to 
to engage with or contact us on. Thank you, God, that that is you, and it all, all comes with the relentless pursuit of your grace towards us, in us, through us, for us, and for all those around us. And I thank you, God, that you are transfiguring us into, into to a full habitation of that reality, that it wouldn't just be an idea or a, a truth or a principle, but it would be our full-lived, glory-to-glory experience every day of our lives. And I thank you, God, that we're walking out of the room different today than the way we came in. Because you're present. And it's, it's said of the disciples that the, the Pharisees were amazed at them, at the way that they spoke, and because they'd never studied, but they took note that they had been with Jesus. And I thank you, God, that people are going to take note that we've been with Jesus. They're going to recognize the fragrance, the presence, the beauty, the illumination of Christ touching and radiating out from our lives because we've been with you. Wow, thank you, God. So we give you this morning, this time, for, for you to keep doing that. <laughs> Whatever you're going to do. Thank you, God. It's a, there's a something corporate that you're doing for us, but there's also something that is unique and it's tailored for every individual uh, in the room today and whoever's listening online, if they're listening online. Thanks, God. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Um, pray, praying helps me. <laughs> it helps me stay on track. Um, I've got a little cup here. Grace made me a cup of tea, and uh, I quite like this cup. Who, oh, you made the cup of tea. Or someone else made me a cup of tea. Grace got me a cup of tea. Thank you for the pedants in the peanut gallery over here on the right. <laughs> the pedants. Um, thank you. They're giving offerings already today. <laughs> uh, I like this cup. Um, there's a very peppy-looking 1950s lady on the front, and it says on here, drink coffee, do stupid things faster with more energy. Yeah. Who's drunk out of this cup? Yeah, you have, Sam. A couple of you guys have. Well, it's going to be extra anointed now next time you, you drink out of it because it's become a, pro- a prophetic illustration in today's sermon. <laughs> um, do, drink coffee, do stupid things faster and with more energy. I, it kind of tickled me when I read that because I thought, um, <laughs> to be honest, I've been around, um, uh, I, you know, I, 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 lo- I love the church, but I've been around the church a long time to know that um, quite often uh, what we think Jesus is trying to get us to do is just to do things faster and with more energy. Um, uh, but the problem is we haven't realized that some of the things, maybe a lot of the things that we do are actually kind of stupid. And so then we think that w- w- by doing stupid things faster and with more energy, we get better results. <laughs> I mean, it just means it just means you get to the end result quicker, right? If you do it faster with more energy, like if you if, if you're driving towards a brick wall and you go faster, you just you just hit it quicker and harder, and <laughs> and it's a bit more messy. And it reminded me when I read that cup today of something that uh, Watchman Nee said. He's one of the kind of patriarchs of the Chinese underground church. He said, when, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, one of the first things that happens is your natural activity begins to decrease. It's very, very interesting. And it's very different from this, if I can get my laser pointer, you know, on a very different from this mug. Drink coffee, do things, do stupid things faster and with more energy. Um, actually, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, what happens is there's like a, a some, there's like this divine anesthetic comes in 
to your natural activity, where there's all of this business, all of this kind of engagement. And, and actually, the, prophetically, this is in the scripture, it's the curse of the thorns. Do you remember when Adam and Eve, uh, they, they have to leave the, the, the garden and the ground is cursed and God says, the ground is going to resist you. Like, it's not going to be easy for you now. You're going to have to fight with the ground, and thorns are going to come out of the ground, thistles are going to come out of the ground, and it's going to be by the sweat of your brow, by your hard work, that you're going to get a result out of the ground. Right? That's part of the curse. And Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he wore, a, well, he, he's, first of all, he sweat drops of blood from his brow. That's really significant that the Bible says that. It's not just, you know, a, an interesting story. Why does he sweat drops of blood from his brow? It's because he's, he's removing the curse that's on the land. That what was the sweat of Adam's brow becomes the sweat of blood on Jesus's brow, and that sweats into the ground. And it's the, this is a picture. This is God saying, the Holy Spirit's trying to say to us, the curse on the land has been removed. But what is the curse on the land? And Jesus wears the crown of thorns, right? So the thorns and the thistles that would resist you out of the ground. That's what Jesus wore on the cross. So Christ remits the curse that's on the ground. He removes it. But what is the curse? The curse is it's going to be like you, you will get a good result through your hard work and your effort. That's the curse on the ground. It's like you, you have to throw more energy out of thing, more, 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 more to get like with the law of diminishing returns. But Christ removes that completely. So this is not the mode of being. It's not the mode of life for the Christian. The mode of life for the Christian is that Christ took the crown of thorns. He's crowned with it and your natural activity decreases. He makes me lie down in green pastures. This is the, this is the, then the labor of rest. It's, it's kind of a paradox because Hebrews says labor to enter God's rest. And, you know, labor and rest are diametrically opposite. You can't labor and rest at the same time. Um, so what's it trying to say to us though is that often what we're laboring in, what we're working in, it's our, it's our re-engaged, re-empowered self-effort. That's what we're doing a lot of the time our own self-effort. And sometimes it's possible, it's very possible to take the Bible and use the Bible to re-engage self-effort. It's very possible to come along and say, well, you know, you're, you, you need to work harder at this, or you need to pray harder at this, or you need to do more in this, and then you'll get the result that you want. Or then God will listen to you, or then, you know, the heavens will open, or whatever it is. That, that we, we set up all of these things um, or oh, if we were only giving more money to the poor, or if we were only doing more of these things, we'd be seeing more happen. And it's this, it's a very subtle uh, distortion, but a very significant one and a very powerful distortion, one which re-empowers our own self-effort. And sometimes we can live years and years and years re-empowering our own self-effort and thinking that we're living the Christian life. Thinking that what, what God's really trying to do to us is educate us as to how to be better people, and then we use our own efforts and our own abilities to do it. And you can't tell on the outside a lot of the time because two people can both do exactly the same good work. One of them, it's just simply their own self-empowered, self-effort. And the other one, it's the manifestation of the life of God. How can you tell? Like the actual action itself is not how you tell. You remember the Apostle Paul said, he, he didn't say take care what you build. He said take care how you build. Are you going to build with gold, silver, and precious stones or with wood, hay, and straw? Both are, you can build a house out of both, and it looks like a house, and people can still benefit from it. They can still get in, under the shelter of it. Whether it's built with wood or whether it's built with gold, people can still benefit from it. But the difference is, what's the material? 
and how, what the longevity is of that material. How, how, what's its survivability when fire comes? And I think wood, hay, and straw looks like our own self-effort. We're drawing from our own self-effort. And our own self-effort comes out of our own, our own ego. It comes out of our own need to prove something or be something. Or it comes out of our own fear to compensate for something, compensate for a perceived lack, try and cover up our shame or our inadequacy or our inability. It comes from a self-judgment one way or another. And we think, oh, I must do this. Sometimes it's, it's, it, it sits in a very deep place for us. We're not even conscious of it necessarily until we allow Holy Spirit to begin to illuminate what's going on in our inner world. And then we begin to see, oh, I didn't realize how pathological my motivations were. I didn't realize how toxic my thinking was until I actually came face to face with it. And, um, and he, Holy Spirit is wanting to anesthetize. He's wanting to knock out our self-effort because if he's going to do heart surgery on us, I, I mean... To be honest with you, you can have heart surgery when you're conscious, if you really want. I don't recommend it. This doesn't sound like fun. I would much rather be anesthetized by the presence, by the, the beautiful, drunken, glorious joy of his goodness and his very self. I'd much rather have that, that anesthetic than when he's ministering. It's like, oh, that's no problem. You know, one of the things I've learned about Holy Spirit is he, he very rarely... He very rarely speaks to me in a way that is corrective. Like correction, when he comes in and he says, you're doing this wrong, do this instead. Very, very rarely. I think I could maybe count, uh, maybe on one, possibly two hands, the number of times in my life when God has spoken to me really like that. But what's amazing about it? Do you know, I'm, I'm going to give you this story. I'm, I'm off piste anyway. I'm going to give you the story. I was, um, uh, I don't know, maybe it was about 15 years ago, I was involved in, um, oh, just we were doing an outreach. A friend of mine come from America. We were taking a he had a 10-foot cross. He, he crosswalks all over the world. And we were going to crosswalk in Bristol, actually. And uh, I'd got a bunch of guys together, and I took them to meet him. And he did some training on the Friday night. And then on the Saturday, we were going to go crosswalking. And he said, he said, now, look, we're going to go crosswalking tomorrow, so I want you to go and spend the evening in prayer, you know, before we, we go out tomorrow. So I decided it was a, it was a nice summer's evening. And I went out to, um, I was living in Cainsham at the time, and there's ruins of an abbey there in Cainsham. And I went to, I went to there, there to pray. I used to do that quite a lot. So I was there and I was praying. And this is how I was praying. I was like, God, I want you to use me to heal the sick. And I want you to use me to cast out demons. I want you to use me to raise the dead. And I, was, I, and I, want, I want to see people saved. I was praying all these things. And the Holy Spirit slapped me. He slapped me. Like, just like that, straight. <laughs> Slapped the spit straight out of me. Like, I got slapped by the Holy Spirit. And he said, clear as day, if you really believe I'm going to do what you're asking me to do, then why are you praying as if you don't? <laughs> if you really believe I'm going to do what you're asking me to do, then why are you praying as if you don't? And it stopped me dead in my tracks, like halfway through my prayer. It just totally slapped the words right out of my mouth. I was like, that's a good point. <laughs> why, am I, why am I praying as if I don't believe these things? As if I have to work it up in my prayer. As if I have to psych myself up in my prayer. Or I have to kind of energize myself. This is a, the re-empowerment of self-effort. What's the point? And I stopped and I thought, gosh, I've been praying like that for months. <laughs> months. And I thought, man, God must be really sick of it. <laughs> That's all he's been hearing from me, from, from me for months. And finally, it's like, I'm so fed up with this. Slapped it right out. And, and then I thought, 
No, but I do believe it, actually. I do believe God's going to do that. Where did I adopt this mindset that somehow I have to climb into it? I don't have to climb into it. You remember two weeks ago we looked at, or maybe you don't, but maybe you're here and you do, but how the, the Jews thought that getting the Holy Spirit was like a ladder you had to climb. You had to climb as hard as you could to get as high as you, you can. There is no ladder. Christ dissolved it. But you know what? As soon as God said that to me, you know how I felt? Full of the joy of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely full. I was laughing. I was just full of the presence of God. I was like, oh, that's wonderful. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You just slapped that bad thinking right out of my head. And that's wonderful. I feel so free. I feel fantastic. You know, when God corrects you, you feel fantastic. One of the ways you can tell whether it's God or not is because if you think you're hearing a voice that's correcting you and it makes you feel ashamed, rubbish, you know, like you, you, you're no good, like you'll never get there, that you have to work even harder. If, if it makes you feel like that, guess what? It's not Jesus. That's not what God sounds like. That's not what he tastes like. It's not what his word tastes like. Like God's, God's correction jumps you right back up into your true identity, into his true promise. And it feels incredible. And you walk out totally energized by the Holy Spirit when he says that to you. Now, I've had many times my own head has accused me or tried to correct me. And it's sometimes used the voice of the Bible to do it. That's not been Holy Spirit. You understand the difference? Okay, there's your intro. Just remember, remember, you know, um, this kind of... Uh, stereotypical 1950s housewife here in the, on telling everyone to drink coffee, do stupid things faster and with more energy. Um, let's not do that. Holy Spirit, would you teach us how not to be stupid? Um, quick recap from the last two weeks. Please go back and listen to them again uh, if you want to. Well, you should anyway. Um, so we looked at how Moses prayed that all God's people would have the Holy Spirit and how uh, the promise God gave to Abraham was the coming of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at that a little bit more today. And I've given you kind of the chapter headings there um, in case you want to look up those in your own time as well. And then Peter says the promise was fulfilled at Pentecost. That's what we looked at last week. The promise that God, that was the answer to Moses' prayer and the promise that was given to Abraham was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. And I just threw this one back in here from the first week. You know, the spirit of reality will guide you into all reality. I just wanted to remind us that, you know, we, a lot of translations translate this verse from John 16 to say the spirit of truth will lead you to, into all truth, but it's not exactly correct. It's the spirit of reality will lead you into all reality because truth is just an intellectual exercise. Truth is just an abstract concept or an idea. Reality is a lived, experiential, full, three-dimensional truth. It's an, it's an intimate knowledge and an acquaintance with that, that truth. So we might say, Jesus is the healer. That's true. But when you're healed, that's reality. Jesus is the prince of peace. That's true. But when you're flooded with peace, that's reality. The kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. But when you're righteous, full of peace, and full of joy in the Holy Spirit, then that's reality. And the Spirit, Holy Spirit is here to lead us into the reality of the truth, not to lead us into the intellectual agreement with the truth. That's different. It's actually possible to be living in the reality of the truth and your intellectual agreement is somewhere else. That's possible. I don't know if you've ever had that. I've had that a number of times where I've been in the reality of something and in my head I'm like, I'm not sure I even believe in this. (laughs) 
I'm not sure, I'm not sure this is even, this is even true. You know, I, I'm not sure this is even right. Like, hang on, what's chapter and verse? But I know it's real because it's the reality of the Holy Spirit is bringing me into it that goes further than my natural mind can comprehend. And it's my natural mind is catching up. It's, we, we need our natural minds to be functioning well. But how do they function well? It's when they're catching up with Holy Spirit, not the other way around. It's the, the Spirit is the leading part of life, not the head. Okay, where we left off. We left off with the story of the death Pentecost. God says, I'll pour out my Spirit on all people and especially on my servants, right? So you can go listen to the tape from last week. Um, so Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit and, you know, all the apostles... And as a result, they were full of reality. And you can read the book of Acts and you can see that reality. There's this transcendent joy, divine healings and other miraculous events. They prophesy. We looked at that being this bubbling up, this fermenting, this explosive force that comes from within. That's the divine wisdom and revelation of God. They spoke in tongues and people's lives were radically and irreversibly transformed. Where they were wicked, they're not wicked anymore. Where they were unloving, they're now loving. Where they were unkind, they're now kind. Where they were timid and cowardly, now they were, they were bold and full of hope and confidence. Lives radically transformed. All of these things happened. But there was still a problem with their thinking. Certainly there was still a problem with Peter's thinking. And this is because they were coming from a Jewish background. And the Jews thought that only the physical descendants of Abraham were included in the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Jews thought that. And it confused them. The, the notion that the Holy Spirit would be for people other than them was a difficult, a difficult uh, bridge to cross. Remember, we, saw, we looked at Moses praying, I would that all God's people would have the Spirit. And this was Moses, the forgotten prayer of Moses we looked at last week. But it kind of begged the question, who are God's people? Who are God's people? Because according to the Jews, well, only the Jews were God's people. The people who aren't Jews are not God's people. But the people who are Jews are God's people. That's what they thought. That's what Peter thought. Now, Peter, he, he said, he, quoting Joel, when the Holy Spirit comes, then you'll see visions. Right? And then he himself, a few chapters later, finds himself having a vision. And... Again, I, I bridge this, but it's in Acts 10. You can go look at it. And, and uh, Peter went to pray, and he fell into a trance. Interesting, by the way, he fell into a trance. Trances are biblical. Um, Peter had one. But he fell into a trance. He wasn't trying to get himself into a trance. God just took him into a trance. A trance is an altered state of consciousness. It's where your, your awareness of the, your kind of ordinary conscious awareness is shifted into another dimension, into another place. And you're kind of there, but you're not there at the same time. That's, that's biblical. That's right there. This is our, our, our Christian heritage has always included for hundreds and hundreds of years, right since the inception of the church, the, uh, the grace of, uh, of trance experiences. It's, it's there. It's legitimate. It's on the table. Um, take a lot of unpacking to explain more. But anyway, I just thought I'd point it out. It's there in your Bible. Peter fell into a trance, and what he saw, he saw heaven opened, and a sheet came down with all kinds of animals, and a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And then the voice spoke, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Now, those of you who are kind of familiar with the background will know that the Jews were not allowed to eat certain animals because they were considered impure or unclean. And Peter sees this vision coming down from heaven. And this is an example of where his reality was contradicting his head. 
Because in his head, he's like, well, God would never ask me to eat a shrimp because a shrimp is unclean. He'd never ask me to eat some bacon because bacon's unclean. But now his Holy Spirit showing me a bacon and a shrimp and saying, you know, have some surf and turf. And I'm, I'm in a trance. I know this is God. But in my head, I'm like, no, nah, hang on a minute. No, surely not. Surely not. Like his head is saying, put the brakes on, put the brakes on. But his spirit has taken him beyond the confines, the limitations of what his, his natural understanding was able to uh, contain. And this is God's answer. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Now, actually, Peter should have known that because in the Gospels, Jesus cancels the kosher laws anyway. But it hadn't sunk in. Still hadn't sunk in. He had heard Jesus say it, but it hadn't sunk into his heart. Here, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And then what happens is, just after that, some men are sent by a Roman centurion called Cornelius. They're not Jews, they're Gentiles. They come knocking on the door, and they've been, they've been sent by this Roman because he had met an angel, and an angel had told him, go and get the apostle Peter to come and speak to you. So they're not Jews. They sent these guys, and then Peter goes with them to meet Cornelius and his household, and he preaches the gospel to them. You can read the story in Acts 10. It's fantastic. But this is what Peter says to uh, Cornelius. He says, God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So Peter recognized that actually the vision he had about the, the, the blanket that came down and the animals that were there wasn't really about food. Kind of, that was a, a, a secondary or a tertiary meaning. The primary meaning was to address Peter's faulty understanding as to who was qualified to receive the Holy Spirit. This was breaking down Peter's wall of division that said, well, only the Jews are in, the non-Jews are not in. And God says, when, you're, when you say that, Peter, you are calling human beings impure and unclean. And I am commanding you never to do that because I am saying these people are pure and they are clean. So Peter says, God, show me I'm not to call anyone impure or unclean. He actually says to Cornelius, you know, according to Jewish law, I shouldn't be here. Because according to Jewish law, you're impure and unclean. But God has shown me not to, cure anyone, uh, to call anyone impure or unclean. While Peter is in the middle of preaching, the Holy Spirit comes on all who heard the message. Those with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. So Peter doesn't even get to the end of his sermon. It's really interesting. He doesn't do an altar call. He doesn't get them to pray a prayer. He doesn't get them baptized. While he's in the middle of speaking, they are all filled with the Holy Spirit. And his conclusion is, wow, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. That must mean God has included them too. And then he says, well, I guess we ought to baptize them all then. Let's catch up. Again, it's like, let's catch up with what the Holy Spirit's doing. His mind was catching up, and then his actions were catching up. It's like, okay, Holy Spirit's going over here. I guess, I guess we better baptize him. You know, this, is like, this is what he thought was a, was a, was a good plan. You know? <laughs> so Peter concludes that God must have accepted Cornelius and the others because the evidence was that they were filled with the Spirit. But biblically, if the promise was for Abraham's descendants, this is what the Jews understood, then how can this be the case? Well, this is where the Apostle Paul comes in. He's the one who explains this to us in the New Testament. In fact, Paul, the Apostle Peter says of the Apostle Paul that he writes things that are difficult to understand. Like Peter found Paul's theology hard to understand. He really could, found it difficult to get his head around it. And he said, but it's true and you need to listen to it. Galatians. So we touched on this a little bit last week, the promise of Abraham about receiving the life of the Spirit. We looked at this verse, God redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham, that's the Holy Spirit, 
might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ so that by faith we might receive the promise. So Galatians shows us that whereas the Jews had this idea that you had to climb this ladder to get to the Holy Spirit and you had to be a Jew to even qualify to get on the bottom rung of the ladder, now the, Galatians is showing us there is no ladder, it's all, it's all by faith. And it doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or Gentile or anything. It's all by faith. Why? Because, you know, we already saw, Peter preached it, the Holy Spirit has been poured out on all people. Everyone has had the Holy Spirit poured out on them. That by faith we might receive that promise, okay? Now, he says this, and this is, a, this is an important point, but listen with your heart on this because it's a little tricky. This is quoting from the Bible. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Not Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. So the Jews were thinking that the promise of the Holy Spirit was given to Abraham and to Abraham's seeds, meaning his descendants. So, okay, by virtue of being Abraham's descendants, we qualify. But the Apostle Paul says the Bible doesn't say that. It's just to Abraham and to his seed, meaning one person. So that means that, that all, all the promises that God has made are actually directed towards the person of Christ. They're not directed towards the Jews. They're not directed towards Israel. They're not directed to people in general. They're directed to only one person, the Jew, who is Jesus. Jesus Christ. He's the only one that they're, that's directed to. It's not to seeds, many people, meaning many people. It's to the seed, meaning one person. There are people out, there, there's teaching going around saying that, that actually God's promise came to the Jews. God's promise didn't come to the Jews. God's promise came to Christ, the one person who is Christ. Everybody else is disqualified. Everybody else is excluded because it's only one. If it, if there's only one person who is the in crowd, everybody else is the out crowd, right? Christ is the only one who inherits the promise. Then it says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. This is really interesting because it's, it's actually so closely identifying you with Christ as to say, well, we, we don't see any separation. We see a picture of union. And again, to quote Watchman Nee, um, that he said, God deals with every situation in your life by removing you and replacing you with Jesus. Everything is, a, is you being replaced by Jesus. Paul said, it's no longer I who live, it's Christ living in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. It's not my own life, it's not my own power, it's not my own spirit that's energizing my life anymore, it's the Holy Spirit. Remember, we looked at how Adam became a living being because the Holy Spirit was in him, or the Holy Spirit was his life. So now we can say the same thing. We say, actually, it's not, our, it's not our own power that keeps us going. It's not our own spirit, our own life. This is the very life of God. The very reason you could get up in the morning is because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. The Holy Spirit who holds the atoms in your body together. The Holy Spirit who creates a continuum of space and time around you that you can actually exist within. Paul says, in God we live and we move and we have our being. Christ, uh, God solves the problem by choosing Christ and putting us all into Christ. 
When we see Christ, when we see Christ, we no longer see Adam as the elected representative of humanity. We see Christ as the elected representative of humanity. That the word became flesh, that means that Christ took on the human condition. He took on the whole of the, of human life in, in that moment when he was conceived in the womb of the virgin. And then the life that he lives is a replacement. It is a substitute. He is standing in our place. Everything he's walking through and is experiencing is our experience. It is our life. When we're looking at the life of Christ, what we're seeing in reality terms is God living in and through us as one of us. And because Christ is still human, it means when we see him, we see humanity enthroned on the throne of God with him, which is a restoration back to the picture at the beginning of, of in Genesis 2 that we looked at two weeks ago. This is God's answer to the question. This is the Bible's answer. How is it that the Gentiles are included in the promise of the Spirit? It's because God has taken everybody and put them into Christ and has put Christ on the cross and he has died on the cross and then he has risen again and he has carried us all in him and with him. And that's how we can have the Holy Spirit poured out on all flesh because all flesh is in Christ. Following me still? Let me, let me land it. So, truth is God's department. And here are some things. What has God made true for us? Well, he has chosen Christ to be the sole recipient of his blessing. That's true. He has transplanted us into Christ so that everything Christ is and has becomes ours, including the Holy Spirit, the life of the Spirit. Three, he has confirmed this by pouring out his Spirit on all people, brackets, especially the believers. So, faith uh, I would say here, if we don't know about it or we don't believe it, you know, faith is essential because if we don't know it, we can't believe it. And if we don't believe it, we can't enter into the benefit of it. We're going to continue to live as if it isn't true in darkness, in self-destruction, in sin, in all of these things. We're going to keep blowing up our life and blowing up other people's lives in a bad way because we don't know this is what God has accomplished on our behalf. This is what he's done on our behalf. Um, faith is essential but faith doesn't make anything true. I think that's in the previous slide. Yes, bottom slide here. The promise comes by faith, right? By faith. But faith doesn't make things true. Faith is to believe that something is true. Like, you don't make it true. Like, if I believe I could sit on that chair and it will support my weight, by believing it, it doesn't determine whether or not the chair can support my weight. It determines whether I will trust it to sit on it. But it doesn't change the chair, right? So... Believing in Jesus doesn't change anything about the cross. We were put into Christ in the cross before we were born. This happened 2,000 years ago. It was nothing to do with us. God did it. God elected Christ as our representative, and he put us in Christ for his purpose. In fact, even from before the foundation of the world, it says that, that that's true. You were chosen in Christ from before the foundation of the world. Believing that doesn't make it true. Like, you can't in 2019 believe something and that changes something about, you know, what happened in eternity eons ago, right? That doesn't work. You believe it. It's like, oh, okay, I didn't know that before. Now I know it. I'm not sure about it, but something's happened on the inside of me that resonates with it and now I just know it's true. It didn't become true at that moment. It, it became real to you in that moment, but it was always true. Does that make sense? So you see... Um, and I've got my last slide here, and this, this is where we'll land it. But you, you see, the Holy Spirit has been poured out on all flesh. That is true. 
That means you can't see a person, you can't pass a person who hasn't had the Holy Spirit poured out on them. But if they don't know it and they don't believe it, then how are they going to enter the good, the good of that? How are they going to enter into having the Holy Spirit as their life? How are they going to know the intimacy, the intimate fellowship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit if they don't know that this is what's happened? See, the gospel is supposed to be good news. It's not supposed to be bad news. It's supposed to be good news. It's supposed to be, hey, don't you realize what God has done? Don't you realize where God has placed you? When you don't realize it, let me tell you. Let me tell you what Jesus has done in you and for you. Let me tell you that the very one who holds the atoms in your body together is the one who died and who rose again and took you with him. Don't you want to believe in him? Why wouldn't you want to believe in him? Why wouldn't you want to know him? Why wouldn't you want to know the one who has done this in you and for you and who is with you every day of your life, whether you realize it or not? Like The gospel is not, you are over there and God doesn't like you, but if you kind of jump through our hoop, whatever that hoop might be, then you get to come over to our crowd. That's exactly what Peter was doing with the, with the Jews. It's because you could get in, you could join the Jews by jumping through a hoop. You could get circumcised, you could keep the law, you know, could do all that, and then you could be kind of qualified as a sort of class two Jew. Um, so we, but we sometimes replicate that in the Christian church by saying to people, Okay, you have to jump through our hoop, and then you can come and be part of part of our club, the people who God likes. The people out there, well, we're not juries out whether God likes them or not. Maybe his wrath's on them, and he wants to blast them with a meteorite. You see the difference? So, lastly, uh, oh, here we go. How do we see ourselves, first of all, and how do we see others? Because this is how it works here. If God has commanded that we are not to call anyone impure or unclean, I thought we'd put up this to finish and contrast a set of words that would be on the impure side and a set of words on the pure side. So how about this one on the, on the left side? Unworthy. Well, well, if God has commanded us not to call people impure or unclean, he's commanding us not to call them unworthy. So what do we say they are instead? We say they are worthy. Worthiness is a, is a big deal here. We often have this thing of like, oh, well, we're just unworthy sinners and God loves us. Listen, if you think like that, you're still thinking in hum, humanistic terms. Because who gets to decide what worthiness is? God decides. You don't decide what's worthy, and you don't decide what's unworthy. God decides, and he demonstrates what he considers worthy by his actions. And his actions are, he comes down, he takes on flesh, he gathers you up, he takes you to the cross, he takes you to the grave, he takes you out of the grave, he takes you to heaven. Like, that's the definitive statement of who's worthy. Like, Jesus doesn't die on the cross to make you worthy. He dies on the cross because he considers you worthy. So I would like to invite you to drop unworthy language. (laughs) Drop the word unworthy. Upgrade your thinking to God's perspective. See, the, the fear of the Lord means to think about ourselves the way that God thinks about us. To look at life the way God looks at it. So we ought not to build up identities that are based on our own human constructs. We ought to allow the, the, the Word and the Spirit to elevate our thinking to see ourselves as God sees us. Not as unworthy, but as worthy. And by the way, as God sees us is how things really are. Sometimes we can say, as God sees us, as if he's kind of like putting a filter, looking through an Instagram filter at us, right? But no, that's not it. We're the ones who are looking through the filter. We look through the glass darkly. God sees things as they are. How can God not see things as they are? Impure and pure. We can't call people impure. I want to suggest to you, you're not allowed to call anybody impure, but you're also not allowed to call yourself impure. You're not impure. You're pure. Unclean. You're not unclean. You're clean. 
unaccepted. You're not unaccepted. You are accepted. God invites us to view everybody that way. To not look at them and think, well, you're not accepted, but if you, if you kind of tick these boxes, then you can be accepted. No, the gospel is you are accepted. Can't receive the Holy Spirit because of all of these problems. And then on the other side, you have already received the Holy Spirit poured out on you. Excluded from the promise is already included in the promise because of Christ. What does it look like when we start to actually preach to people and tell them, don't you realize you're included in this incredible promise? Well, what promise? They've never heard. Well, you get to explain it. (laughs) Must become qualified on the left side is already qualified. You're already qualified. There's no qualification to add. You're already qualified. Let's go and preach to people that they're qualified because of Christ. And then finally, we've got the out crowd and the in crowd. And we have to stop seeing people as the, as the out crowd and as the in crowd. Uh, time's gone, but I, I want to I just demonstrate this with one story and with a prayer um, to kind of illustrate. And then uh, I think people, you know, go and grab kids, but maybe we can have the band up. We'll keep, we're happy to keep worshiping, you know, but if you want to go, you can go as well. That's fine. Um, I mentioned last week about how, uh, about the, how broken the relationship I had with my dad was and how God began to restore that. You know, it was Father's Day last weekend and, you know, it was kind of a God thought. It felt like we needed to talk about that. Um, but I didn't get really the chance to explain to you is what actually healed the relationship with my dad or what began to. And I'll, I'll tell you one major thing that healed the relationship with my dad is I repented of viewing things in the left column. I repented of viewing things in the left column. I stopped viewing him as out. He's not a Christian. I stopped viewing him as being disqualified, unable to receive, excluded. I stopped viewing him that way. I didn't tell him. I just, God showed me I repented of it, shifted my thinking. That healed the relationship with my dad. For years, I had a broken relationship with my dad because I viewed him this way, and I viewed him as, well, I, I, want, I want him to become a Christian, and that was this filter that was constantly between us in the, in the relationship. Well, when, that, when that went, suddenly the relationship was back. So I'll chuck that one out there to you for free, and you can do what you want with it. But let me contrast the difference. How, how do we pray, how, and how might we pray that is different between these two ways? Well, let's look at the left column, first of all. Let's say you're, you're praying, you're praying for, uh, let's say you're praying for your, the city. Let's make it more general. You're praying for the city. And you might pray things like, God, we, we need you to forgive the, the horrible sins that are going on in the city. We need you to come and, you know, turn your, turn, turn the judgment away and turn disaster away from the city. And would you come off the throne? Would you break through heaven and come down and reach us and meet us and, and get us? Because, you know, the, the city is so, it's so broken. It's so terrible. It's so rough. It, it, there's so much, so many curses. There's so much brokenness. See, from, from that position, we, we show by our prayer what we really think about the people we're praying for. How about another way to pray? Holy Spirit, thank you that you have been poured out on every person, every family, every corner of the city, every drug den, every prostitution house, every bank, every uh, corporation, every academic hall, every school, every front room. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are present fully in every one of those places. And we pray right now that you break people's awareness open, that you wake them up to the reality of what you've already accomplished. We remit right now any sense of guilt and shame out over this whole city. We lift the burden of shame. We lift the burden of accusation. We remove 
remove the dividing wall of hostility that's in people's minds, and we release the spirit of reconciliation to those places. We release the joined up thinking and the, the reconciliation in relationships between peoples and people groups within families, and we say, wake up, wake up, wake up to the reality of Christ. Different way to pray, right? Amen. <laughs> Thank you for agreeing. Different way to pray, right? So I want to I want to encourage us, and I'm just going to pray quickly now. And if the band want to come back up, and uh, you can get ready, and if you, if you want to shoot out and grab kids, it's one minute past twelve and ten seconds. So um, I'm going to pray quick. Uh, but even if you shoot out, then you'll still be in the good of the prayer, because <laughs> it's not contingent on being in the room. <laughs> All right. Um, so, uh, Holy Spirit, I would like to ask you, please, it, with all of these things, first of all, where there are any parts in our lives where we have been viewing ourselves in the left column, where we've, we've been seeing ourselves as, as unworthy, impure, unclean, unholy, unaccepted, that we can't receive you, that we're excluded, that we must become qualified, or that we're somehow in the out crowd, or anything associated with it, anywhere and any way in which we've been looking at ourselves that way, I ask right now that you would come and lead us into reality. Lead us into reality in our hearts. Wow, Holy Spirit. And then also any way in which we have been viewing others that way, we recognize today that that is a judgment and you told us not to judge. So we repent of sitting in the seat of judgment and of exercising judgments that are a contradiction of what you have already said. Jesus, we allow you to be enthroned as the judge and the arbiter over our hearts. We ask you that you, you teach us. So thank you that you have destroyed the dividing wall of hostility, it says in Ephesians. And we pray right now that you show us anywhere that we have re-erected the walls of hostility, the dividing walls of separation that, that make an out crowd and an in crowd. Any ways in which we've done that, we ask you now to come and remove those from our thinking and liberate us. And especially, Father, I just want to bless families and friendships, any, any place where that has been harmed. Um, for anyone in this room or attached to the church, because of this, where, where that's resonated with them, Father, we just release healing, immediate healing this week, not like six years' time, this week, for healing and restoration to happen in, in those relationships. Thank you, God. Amen. Okay, bless you guys. Thank you. Um, do you want to la- So go, go grab kids. You guys take us further. And if anybody wants to pray, grab someone and pray with them. Speak to somebody about what God's talking to you about. Like, engage it. Don't let it slip slip away that we get into the busyness of the day again. And if anyone wants to, to, to pray with anyone and you don't know anyone else, we're here. We're happy to pray. Grace is here. I'm here. Chris Alice, you know, everybody. So, thanks. Thank you. So, um, recently we've been praying for five people. And so I want us all to think of one of those people we've been praying for and to um, see them in Christ on the throne with him in the heavenly places. Just see them there. That, that is the reality about how he sees them and we enter into that reality. And we just agree with that, that that reality breaks through. The objective reality breaks through and becomes their subjective reality. That they understand that they are holy worthy, loved, accepted, included, pursued, that goodness has been running after them all the days of their life, that that truth becomes their lived experience. Amen.